but I'm going to that slide. Do you see a slide that says, Don't Fear the Plan? Good. <laughs> that is the title of the message for now, Don't Fear the Plan. I saw a, 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 a little meme on Facebook, and it is Charlie Brown talking to Linus. They're sitting on a bench, and here's what it said. Worrying won't stop the bad stuff from happening. It just stops you from enjoying the good. Worrying won't stop the bad stuff from happening. It just stops you from enjoying the good. Jesus has been approached by Pharisees, and they have said to him, Get away from here. Herod wants to kill you. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody tells me somebody else is looking to kill me, I think I have something to worry about. Do you know why Jesus isn't afraid of today or tomorrow? Let's talk about it. These Pharisees came and they said to him, Get away from here. Herod wants to kill you. When you read this verse, what you ought to get from that is a real sense that Jesus is headed somewhere, that Jesus has a destiny, that Jesus has a place that he has to be. If you were reading your scriptures along uh, in the book of Luke and you were reading along in chronological order, the last time that you would have seen Herod, you would have seen this about him. He had just chopped off John the Baptist's head and suddenly he hears about the miracles that Jesus is performing. And the new reports that he hears about what Jesus is doing alarmed him. This is what is written in Luke 9 concerning Herod. Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. Some had said that John had raised from the dead. Some had said that Elijah appeared, and others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod himself said, I beheaded John. But who is this about whom I hear these miraculous things? And he sought to see him. This same Herod wants to have Jesus killed, the Pharisees said. Why? Now you have to really ask if you think about this verse for a minute. Look what it says. At that very hour, that gives you the destiny piece. The Pharisees, you have to ask yourself the question, why are the Pharisees concerned about Jesus? Right? I always thought the Pharisees were the enemies of Jesus. Well, you'd be right. They aren't concerned about Jesus. They wanted him out of Jerusalem. There were too many things to be seen in Jerusalem. If they could get him out in the Judean countryside, then they could watch him. They could trap him, and they could do what they wanted to do. So they're saying, hey, this guy wants to kill you. You better hit the bricks. You better leave town. And look at what Jesus says. You go tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons, and I perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I'll finish my course. There's, notice the tail end of that. I'm going to take this verse apart a little bit for a minute. Notice that destiny piece in there. The third day I will finish my course. Jesus is headed somewhere. There's a point to him being in Jerusalem. He says to the Pharisees, you go tell that fox. Now most of you, most of us, when you see the word fox, you get the impression of somebody that's sly, right? And I would venture to guess that 90% of the sermons you've heard have said that that's what this word means. And you'd be right. 
But the word fox actually has another meaning. The word fox also has the meaning of being insignificant, of being, not in our day and age, but in Jesus' day. You'll remember in the book of Nehemiah, when Nehemiah is going to rebuild the walls, there were two guys named Sanballat and Tobiah, and I can't remember which one it is. I think it was Sanballat began to make fun of the wall that Nehemiah was building, and he said, if even a fox jumps on it, it'll fall down point is, you see, the insignificant fox. The fox is, ha, has no purpose. It's, it's insin- it doesn't matter. Jesus says about Herod, go tell that fox. It's not that, fox is, it's not that Herod is so sly. It's that Herod really doesn't matter in this story. You go tell him that I'm going to stay on my course, that I'm headed somewhere, that I'm going to cast out demons, I'm going to perform cures, Today and tomorrow. Now let's stop, stop and think about today and tomorrow for a minute. Jesus is telling us that this is the time to do that, that this is the time of opportunity. Did you ever miss an opportunity in life? I so wish that I had totaled my van before the prices of cars went up to what they went to. But I missed my opportunity. I waited till the prices were up. That's, that's, that's what Jesus is saying here. Today and tomorrow, I'm going to do it because this is the time for me to do it. This is the time when I'm supposed to do it. Then he continues, nevertheless, I must go my way today and tomorrow and the day following. Notice again, there's three days there. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Jesus says, I've got an appointment. I have the word destiny I've used several times today. I've got a place to be. So I've got to keep going. I've got to keep the clock ticking. He uses the word perish. If you don't see anything else in today's message, see this. Jesus is often referred to as the suffering servant in the book of Isaiah, all the prophecies concerning his going to the cross. Please see that Jesus saw his ministry as including pain, as including suffering. He says, a prophet cannot perish away from Jerusalem. And then in the 34th verse, he speaks to the city itself, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You'll remember that he prayed this when he looked over Jerusalem, when he comes back. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you are not wi- were not willing. In this passage, <laughs> now that I've got the right one, the 13th chapter, the 31st and 35th verses, Jerusalem is mentioned three times. It's important. And he says, if you, Jerusalem, the city that always kills and stones the prophets, would have listened to those that God sent to you. He would have taken you and gathered you together as a mother hen takes her chicks and puts them under her wing. You know when, when barns or, or chicken houses burn down, 
You know what the hens do with the babies? They'll, they'll f w w it's been told that when they burn down, they will find the mother hen burn up and often a baby chick or more under the wings still living. That's what Jesus is talking about. God would have taken you and protected you. But you weren't willing. And every time he sent someone, you killed them. Then he says, behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you see blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, when you see your house with regards to Jerusalem, you do know where the temple was, right? I want you to think about Jesus saying to them, your house is forsaken. Your house is forsaken. The place where when I was a little boy, I stood up and taught, and your teachers, your learned men, listened to me. Your house, the place where my parents took off and didn't realize that that's where I was going to be because that's where my father would have me be. But now... Because Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you killed and stoned the prophets. Your house is forsaken. Jesus says, I got to keep going. I'm headed somewhere. So let's talk about it for a minute. What's the schedule for Jesus? I don't know that this next illustration fits right here, but I'm going to give it to you anyhow. Anybody a poetry person in here? You ever, anybody ever read Emily Dickinson? Okay. Emily Dickinson wrote this very, very, very common poem of hers. Because I could not stop for death, he kindly stopped for me. The carriage held but just ourselves and immortality. That, that poem has always bugged me. Because I could not stop for death, death kindly stopped for me. I don't know about you, but I don't ever see death as being kind and stopping at my door. Sometimes it is. Jesus has just been told death, a violent death, is what Herod has for you. You need to get out of town. And Jesus' response is, I've got a plan. I've got somewhere to be. I'm not worried about Herod the Tetrarch. I'm not worried about what you're saying he has said. I don't even know if that's true. I'm just telling you that I've got somewhere to be, and I've got a schedule to keep, and I'm going to keep it. Today and tomorrow, I'm going to do ministry. Third day? Okay, we'll talk about that. But right now, I'm going to do what I can while I can. You notice that Jesus wasn't afraid. Did you notice that, that Jesus was more interested in staying on plan than getting worked up about what was being threatened? Danger didn't seem to bother Jesus. I don't know about you, but the world right now is really weighing real heavy on my mind. I've been having dizziness lately. And I've been trying to figure out what that's about. I told Mark and Debbie if I drop today, they're in charge. So you can let them fight over who finishes the message. But 
I think at the end of the day, what I figured out is that the dizziness is just a result of stress. It's, it's watching the news and getting worked up. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's what it might be. Are you bothered by what you're seeing these days? Is it bothering you? It's bothering me. I'm alarmed by that. Jesus, you're going to die. I've got a schedule to keep. Jesus didn't say, oh, I'm going to wring my hands and I'm going to get dizzy and I'm going to get awash with anguish. Jesus just said, I got somewhere to be, I got somewhere to do, and I'm going to do it while I can. And when the third day comes, okay. But right now, I'm staying on schedule. Let's talk for a minute about what that schedule involved. And I've put the verses up there for you because I'm going to read them to you real quick. But I want you just to remember a few things about Jesus and things he said. Remember when his mother came to him at the wedding and said they've run out of wine? Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, what's that got to do with me? My hour has not yet come. What's he saying? He's saying it's not time for me to be revealed. At one point, they came to arrest Jesus, but they couldn't lay a hand on him. And Luke tells us, the rather John tells us, the reason was because his hour had not yet come. One time when he's in the temple, he is knocking over tables and stuff, and he's telling them how God's house is supposed to be, and no, says that no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Just before the feast of the Passover in John 13, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart. Did you hear that? Something changed. Jesus knew that his hour to depart had come. And he, he was going to go to the Father. And he having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He gets down at this point when he knows his hour has come. What would I do if I knew my hour had come? You would be hearing from me. Jesus gets a basin and a rag and he stoops down on the floor and he grabs his disciples' feet and he washes them and he says, as I have loved you, you're to love each other. I am leaving now. The hour has arrived. It's your job to do what I've been doing today and tomorrow because my third day's come. Church, hear me. He gave them the commandment to do what he was doing because his time had come. The calendar's up. The schedule has arrived. The date of the appointment is here. And when he goes to pray about it, he lifts up his eyes to heaven and he says this to his father. Father, the hour has come. Jesus had a purpose to what he was doing. He had a reason that he was here. And Herod and Satan himself could try to get in the road, but it wasn't going to happen because Jesus was headed to his purpose. Peter would later write about it. Think about that for a minute. Peter. Peter would write these words. From the beginning of eternity, Jesus, the Son of God, would be crucified in Jerusalem. That's 1 Peter 1.20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for our sake. Herod could not put God off schedule. But if Jesus had a schedule, Israel had a future. Can I tell you something before we go any further? God's got a future for us. As I was sitting there last night with, yesterday evening, with my son and his, my precious little granddaughter. And we were discussing the news of the day. 
And basically what came out was, well, if, if one person pulls a trigger and the other one pulls the trigger, it's all over. Can I tell you something? I'd believe that except for this fact. That's not what God says. God says he's got a plan for us. God said he has a purpose for us. So we can sit and conjure around all day long what we want to conjure about how the politics and the, the, the world situation is going to end. You are not going to put aside what God has planned for his church. Remember what Jesus said in the 35th verse that I read today? I made a good emphasis of it. In the 35th verse, Jesus said, your house is forsaken, right? He says, Israel, Israel, you who kill the, all the prophets and stone them. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone them when they're sent to you. He says, your house is forsaken. It sounds as if Jesus is saying, it's game over for you. I've sent the prophets, I've sent the prophets, I sent you Isaiah, I sent you Jeremiah, I sent you Nehemiah, I sent you Hosea, I sent, all these things I did to get your attention. For crying out loud, one of them actually married a prostitute because God told him to, to get Israel's attention. And they continued to stone them and ignore them, and now Jesus comes along and he says, I'm headed to a, a, a schedule, I've got a date with my destiny, I'm going to work today, I'm going to work tomorrow, but the third day is coming. And now he said it's here. He's got a purpose for you too. He, and, and, and when he says to Jerusalem, your house is left desolate, we want to read that and say, oh, God gave up on Jerusalem, God gave up on Israel. No, not so. Jesus continues, your house is forsaken, and you'll not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, we like that. You know why we like that? Because the minute we read that, we see palm branches, don't we? We're going to get our palm branches out. We're going to wave them in the air. And that's going to make us all feel better because Jesus rode into Jerusalem. What would you do if I told you Jesus isn't even thinking about that right now? He's not. He's speaking to Israel and he's saying, your house is forsaken. And you'll not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm going to tell you, Jesus was not talking about Palm Sunday. You go back to Zechariah 12.10, what you'll read there is this. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on him who they've pierced, they'll mourn for him as one who mourns for an only child and they'll weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Just a couple chapters later, listen to what Jesus says. And his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from the east to the west by a wide valley. One of the half of the mountain will move north. One will move south. You'll flee to the mountains for the valley shall reach to Azale. And you'll flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. On that day, there will be no light, no frost, no cold. It will be a unique day, known to the Lord. No night, no day. In the evening, there will be light. 
On that day, living waters will flow from Jerusalem, half to the east, half to the west. It will be like summer and winter. And if you don't quite get what I'm getting at, Jesus, when he said, you'll see blessed is the one that comes in the name of the Lord. Yes, Jerusalem, you seem to be desolate now because you killed and you destroyed the laws, the, the, the prophets that came to you, but understand, my grace extends beyond your stubbornness. My grace reaches beyond your ugliness. My grace goes further than what you are going to do to me. Because one day you will see and you will come around. What Zechariah is talking about is when the Lord returns. Jesus would talk about it in Matthew 24. Listen for a minute. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And the tribes of the earth will mourn. They'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. And he'll send out his angels with a trumpet call and they'll gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Did you hear what he said? He'll gather his elect. You know, some of us sit back and we think, well, you know, here's what church is about. Church is about we get up on Sunday morning and we put on our nice clothes and we show up and God loves me and he loves you. Now let's go home and be good about it. There's so much more than that. God does love us. But God wants a relationship with us. And even Jerusalem, who killed the prophets, whose house was seemingly forsaken, God says he'll gather his elect. That, that's not just them. That's us who have been grafted in by the blood of Jesus. So there's Jesus' schedule. There's Israel's future. But then there's the present reality. And I want you to know as you look at that slide and it says the present reality for Israel, I want you to understand that the church is grafted into Israel. We don't have a message for Israel. Do you know that? Paul says that we've been grafted into them. Please know that. You who destroyed the law, you who destroyed all the prophets. He's speaking to Israel. The reality is we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. So the present reality, church, is not just for people who live far away on another continent. The present reality is for all of us who trust in the blood of Jesus. What's our present reality? Man, it looks desolate, doesn't it? I just, before I came down this morning from my office, I looked on the news and it said that a Ukrainian camp had been bombed and 35 people were killed. So it hit a military target now. Several million people displaced. What is Poland going to do with all those folks? How do they eat? What are we going to do when there's no anything for them to eat? What's going to happen? Things look difficult. We're paying $4.09 a gallon for gas, for crying out loud. Inflation is on the rise. Do you know how bad it is here? I think we ought to take care of our own first before we think about taking care of anybody else. You heard that yet? And at the end of the day, when you look real hard at this situation, I don't see any peace anywhere, do you? 
I mean, even in human hearts. I told you last week I'm upset because I'm, you know, anxiety. There's a lot going on these days. It's hard to find peace. Let me take you back to the beginning. God's got a destiny. The reason God has a destiny is because Jesus had a purpose. Jesus had a peace because he was headed to his purpose. While he was here today and tomorrow, he was going to do what he had to do. But when that third day came, he was going to face it head on. Herod wants to kill me? Good for Herod. I'm going to keep on doing what I'm doing because God has sent me here with something to do. Church, can I tell you something? You are not here by chance. You are here for such a time as this. And you may seem like you've been forsaken. You may feel like the world is desolate. And you may be looking for peace in all the wrong places. Jesus said, my peace I give to you, not the peace that the world gives, give I unto you. My peace I leave with you. First thing you got to settle, church, is what peace are you looking for? Let me, let, me, let, me, let me get real personal with you for a minute. You know, around Christmas, me and Mrs. Adkins, we're plotting out our retirement. <laughs> Do you know in the last two weeks, I've lost about 10% of my plan in real dollars? I am so glad that I know my peace doesn't come from my checking account. It doesn't come from my savings account either. It doesn't come from my IRAs or my 403B or my pension fund. My peace comes from the one who holds tomorrow, who had a plan for himself when he came to earth, and he has a plan for me right now. Church, your peace, in times of danger, in times when the world threatens, in time when the Herods of this world come our way and say, he's looking for you, you better run. Jesus steps in and says, my peace I give you. My peace I leave with you. You see, the reality is that Jesus has promised to never leave us nor forsake us but that he would be with us always, even to the end of the age. So that is why we suddenly look at Isaiah 9-6, the wonderful Christmas, book that we Christmas verse that we love. A child is born, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know what that now means for the child of God? It means my government doesn't have a leader named Joe Biden or Donald Trump means my government doesn't have a leader named Putin or anybody else. It means the God that I serve and the world that I reside in is out of this world. And the king is Jesus and he sits upon the throne. And he's wonderful and he's a counselor and he's a mighty God and he's an eternal father. But more than anything, he is a prince of peace. And one day, one day, that prince of peace is going to sit on David's throne. Not just on the throne of my heart, but on the throne of his people. And when he does, we will then know what the third day was about. 
Because our destiny was not to be a part of Westbrook Park Church, and our destiny was not to be a part of the world situation currently. Our destiny was to worship him down through the ages, to have relationship with him that goes further than this Sunday morning. The prophet Isaiah said this, There will come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and might, a spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will judge not by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge. He'll decide the equity. He'll strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, the breath of his lips. He'll kill the wickedness. Righteousness will be the belt of his waist. And faithfulness will be the belt of his loins. In that day the wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion, and the fattened calf together. And a little child will lead them. A cow and a bear will graze. The young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They will no longer destroy in his holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord in that day. In that day, the root of Jesse. Hint, hint, that's Jesus. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a sign for the people. Of him will the nations inquire. And the resting place. For him shall be glorious. Church, our destiny, in spite of all the danger we see, our destiny, in spite of all the trouble we can imagine, the panic in the world cannot compare with the purpose that God has for you and for me. And that is the reason that Jesus would keep his schedule. He would stay on plan. He would be faithful to the end. He'd take that towel and he'd wash those feet. And when he got up from that table, he would go to that cross. Because he had all the confidence in heaven and earth that he was going to win this battle. And the lion would lay down with the lamb. And he would be seated on David's throne. And it would be glorious. So church, here's your bottom line today. And it may not be the best bottom line ever, but it's the truth. The worse things get, the better he gets. The worse it gets, the better he is. I want you to notice something. It takes a little danger to fear the worst. It takes a little danger to fear the worst. I had some blood work done recently. The nurse called me and said, doctor wants to see you. I got all worked up. I went in to see the doctor. He said, they lost your blood. We've got to poke you again. <laughs> it's a little danger to cause you to fear the worst, but listen to this. It takes less faith to know God's best. Think about that for a minute. little danger to fear the worst, but it takes less faith to know God's best. Imagine what the world would be like if we had more faith. Imagine if we really believed that God has a plan. 
Imagine if we really, in our heart of hearts, knew that we are here right now for such a time as this. Because that's how Jesus viewed the world. Herod wants to kill me? It's okay. I'm supposed to be healing people tomorrow. I'm supposed to give sight to the blind and raising the dead the next day. That third day, if I'm here, that's, what, that's what's going to happen. Okay, so be it. But in the meanwhile, I'm just going to keep on keeping on. You see, God does have a plan. Jesus does have a plan. Isn't it strange that one of the final things Jesus would say to his disciples, and hence to you and me, is this. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom will rise against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many places. But these are just the beginning of birth pangs. They may deliver you up to tribulation. They may put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Many will fall away. Many will even betray each other. False prophets will rise up. Many will be led astray. Sinfulness will increase. The love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Did you catch that? The one who keeps the appointment. The one who does today and tomorrow what God has them here for. And in that third day, if, if that final destiny is as bad as we think it's going to be, so be it. That'll be okay. Because Jesus went to the cross, and on the third day, he rose again. And he lives eternally. And he's promised us that because he lives, we can live also. I hope you know that, church. I hope you know that our hope is not here. Our hope is him. It's not a place, it's a person. Sometimes we live life in the middle of a storm, left out in the open, exposed to the elements. No matter where we look, protection seems miles away. Shelter feels out of reach. Lately, these storms have grown stronger, more intense, more difficult to bear. Where do we look when we can't see the way forward? How do we find safe harbor? In the midst of the ebb and flow, God promises to be our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in times of trouble. In our most desperate moments, we can rest safely behind the rock of our salvation. Protected by the shadow of his wing. Yes, life has its troubles, but our God is a mighty fortress. Our stronghold, our refuge.
I may have misinterpreted or miscalculated with today's message. Perhaps I prepared a message today that only applies to me. By the way, if it doesn't apply to me first, it'll never apply to you. Perhaps I've preached to the choir. Perhaps I have just lost my way to the point that I need to turn off the TV and ignore what's happening and act as if it's never going to touch me or hurt me in any way. Most of you that know me well know that my cup is always half empty and never half full. So maybe I'm just all wrong, church. But if I'm not, and you have some of the same awarenesses or feelings, first about your own situation, maybe about someone that you love in your family situation, maybe about our country or our world, or maybe if you're like me, it's all of the above. If that's the case, if that is the case for you, that some of this you know looks tough, I want you to realize that whoever's sitting around you feels the same way. I don't think I miscalculated. I don't think I misunderstand this. I think the world's on edge. I think we can deal with it in a variety of ways. But rather than deal with it, why not trust God for it? Why not know that uh, no matter what that third day brings us, we still have day one and day two ahead of us. That he didn't create us to be in chaos, but rather he created us with purpose, with design, with a loving intention, not meaning to turn us loose like ping pong balls bouncing on the floor, but rather like our universe, spinning in orbit, doing our thing the way he created us to do it. Church, the person sitting next to you probably has the same concerns you have. And so as we sing this morning our final hymn, it's a blessing, and you've heard it before. But I want you to take and sing it from your heart to each other. It says, the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Church, I want you to sing that today for each other. Yeah, it's for God. But if you know the confident assurance that Jesus is your Savior, you know that at the end of the day, He wins. And if we know Him, we will see His glory. We will know His peace that we can't have here. We will see him just as he is, and the best part of all is we will be 
just as he is. Sing it to each other this morning.